Welcome in to another edition of Sunshine State Takes. My name is Brandon Carroll. I'm alongside my co-host Matt McConnell as we bring you our college episode of the week. And boy, oh boy, after a in-person NFL show yesterday for the first time since COVID really shut down our lives, we're talking. We're we're back through the internet just because we're not going to be able to do every episode online or in person. I mean, because of uh, you know having to do two episodes a week, but. Uh, we're here, we're back, and today we get to talk about the Big Ten and you know the troubles that they've faced this season. Florida and Arkansas and Kyle Trask, six touchdowns in the dismantling of the Razorbacks. And then we get to preview uh, Ohio State, Indiana for really the two biggest names in the Big Ten that are, that are playing well this season. And then obviously Bedlam with Oklahoma State and Oklahoma. Matt, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing really good. It's a good Thursday. Got some homework done, ate a good breakfast. So day's off to a good start for me. Happy to be on the pod. Uh, you know, I'm going to have some homework to do after this. So it's going to be a pretty busy day, but, uh, you know, it's it's I'm making the most of it. And, yeah, we're talking about all the things that we're going to touch on in this episode. Ohio State and Indiana, a prime Big Ten matchup. You wouldn't imagine Indiana being a marquee Big Ten matchup, but they are this year. That's just, uh, you know – kind of how 2020 has gone. And then Bedlam, you're right, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. We talked about Oklahoma State on this show previously when they went up against Texas. We're going to check back in with them and see, uh, you know, what that game against Oklahoma and Spencer Rattler and Lincoln Riley's squad is going to look like. Uh, and we're going to talk about that Gators-Arkansas game too. It was a pretty good game out there, especially for you as a Gators fan. They fired on all cylinders and uh, it's just going to be a good show. It's always fun to talk college football, so I'm ready to get into it. Yes, sir. Welcome to Sunshine State Takes, everybody. Like Brandon said, that's Brandon Carroll. I'm Matt McConnell. We're here for a college football edition episode. We were in person yesterday for our NFL episode. First time since March, but we're back online today. So we have developed some versatility here uh, in how we like to record our show. So you'll be you'll be getting a mix of both from here on out, some in person, some online. Uh, you know, one of the benefits of COVID is it just gave us a different platform to, you know, share our takes and get our content out to the viewers. So that's been nice. But, uh, you know, before we kick off this college football content for the day, uh, what's on your mind? Well, the NBA draft occurred last night. And, you know, despite uh, it being, you know, normally one of the bigger spectacles of uh, the NBA offseason, I felt like it kind of flew under the radar just because the NBA had has just ended and it's a a different time than it normally is um, yeah. in terms of how everything went about. But we got to see some pretty 
Fascinating picks. I think, uh, you know, Anthony Edwards from Georgia going first with James Wiseman going second. That was the best two options for yeah. those teams to pick. I think those two were the clear cuts ones and two of the entire draft, and they were picked accordingly. And then from there, I, I was looking through, um, you know, th- these these picks that were made, and there's a few that stand out to me. Um, obviously, Obi Toppin is someone that uh, I'll let you talk about uh, as a Knicks yeah. fan that you can uh, kind of give your thoughts on him. But I really liked the uh, the, the magic pick of Cole Anthony uh, from North Carolina. I mean, uh, he, he's an aggressive scoring guard. He, he gives them an opportunity to, you know, he, he is a ball-dominant player. Uh, he doesn't necessarily like to be that facilitator that a lot of teams would like. But at the same time, he's, he's so... Uh, his ability to uh, create shots and to get up and down the court is something that the Magic kind of need, and I think that makes their team even better than it was this season as they made the playoffs. Um, so I liked that a lot. I thought that was a um, uh, a good compliment to Markel Fultz, who kind of came re uh, in- energized his career when he went from the 76ers to Orlando this season, and so now they have a perimeter shooter that can knock it down and really. Uh, Find he the okay. The crazy thing about him is, is I believe that if he wasn't uh, as you know, because he was kind of in and out of the lineup this year for right. North Carolina because of injuries and things like that. Right. He was, in my opinion, a top ten pick, and they got him at fifteen. So the value right. for being able to get a guy like Cole Anthony, that if healthy, if he's on his game, has a high high ceiling. I love it because they're they're getting someone they're getting their bang for their buck if if you will so um, he was like my number one guy and number one uh, pick if anyone had outside of the you know Anthony Edwards James Wiseman uh, for for the most part yeah uh, and you talk about being able to uh, have a guy fall to you that you feel should have been a top ten pick I think another guy or another team that had someone fall to them that they were very happy to have at this position in the draft was the Sacramento Kings and Tyrese Halliburton. Um, You know, the guy from Iowa State can just do so much as a basketball player, not necessarily a scorer, but, uh, you know, he filled up the stat sheet at Iowa. He's got a high IQ. And this is a guy that, uh, you know, in mock drafts was projected going a bit higher. So for him to fall to Sacramento, I think that was good for them as well. Uh, And, you know, just to touch back on Cole Anthony, we saw what he was able to do when he was healthy last year, despite a down year for the UNC Tar Heels basketball program. But I really do feel like he bolsters a solid roster over there in Orlando. And let's remember that the Magic have made the playoffs the past two years. Yeah. You know? uh, they've had similar results each time. They won the first game against Toronto. They won the first game against Milwaukee and then lost out. But they have some guys on this team, and they're putting together quite the squad. You know, Vucevic continues to be uh, – should continue to be a good player for them. Uh, you got guys – like Jonathan Isaac, who hopefully, I don't know, he probably won't be ready for this season, actually, with his ACL or whatever injury he suffered in the bubble. But guys like Aaron Gordon, you mentioned Markel Fultz reviving his career. And Cole Anthony just adds another good scoring option to that squad. So I definitely agree that that was an interesting pick. Um, another guy I want to talk about, Devin Vassell, the Florida State guy, uh, drafted by the Spurs. Um, that's someone I would have liked to see the Knicks take, considering he was available when we picked. We went with Obi Topin instead. Um, I like the pick. He's experienced. I know me and you were talking about that right before we got on the show. He's a bit older. Uh, you know, he was barely recruited out of high school, but he's going to be playing with his hometown team in the Knicks. I saw a few statements from him saying it's a dream come true. So, uh, you know, if he's going to bring his all every day and 
uh, you know, really make the Knicks a better team than I'm all here for. But we got we got guys like Mitchell Robinson, uh, you know, in the center of the paint who can carry the load pretty well. Uh, so it would have been nice to see the Knicks take a different uh, direction. You know, Vassell and Halliburton were both available with that pick, but they went Topin instead. You know, we'll see how it goes. But an experienced basketball player, a big guy who can make all the highlight reels, all the highlight dunks, uh, you know, it, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I agree. I definitely do. I think uh, for the most part, uh, everyone that was picked uh, deserved to be picked. However, there is one player that I do want to talk about that uh, he failed to go drafted. And in my eyes, I don't believe that uh, was uh, should have happened. But at the same time, uh, I'm not an NBA scout. I, in my opinion, I have uh, drawn a liking to Miles Powell out of Seton Hall. He's a 6'2", 195-pound yeah. point guard. And he resembles a lot of a guy like Carson Edwards, who, if anyone really knows me, yeah. is a guy that I have been huge on for as long as I can remember. Really, even and before... we've talked about him on the show before, too. Yeah, even before yeah. the tournament when he splashed out yeah. for Purdue, uh, uh, really the last tournament that was played for the NCAA, um, Powell brings that same... Uh, he brings that same ability to the table. Obviously, he struggles in not being able to turn the ball over, but he just has so many... Uh, he's such a scoring guard. He's able to get shots off, and he doesn't need a lot of space to be able to knock down threes and knock down shots in general. There's no one that can guard him. Um, well, at least when he was at Seton Hall. And his ability to catch and shoot was just off the charts. And so I thought he... I think he'll be a... Um, very viable free agent acquisition for any team that goes to get him. And uh, as, as much as we don't see a lot of today's, uh, in today's basketball, or at least in basketball compared to the NFL or anything like that, is undrafted free agents of sorts being able to go and make themselves stars. I think Miles Powell is one of the people that could do that, similar to how we've seen in the NFL. But given the limited uh, space on the roster, it, it's not as a... Uh, as a likely occurrence it's not as a as a reoccur i don't know how to say it um sorry i don't know i don't know how to say it. Yeah. I, I don't have a I, I know the word i'm looking for but i can't yeah. i can't so yeah we were texting last night and you said i like miles powell a lot he's a walking bucket not only that duke can stay on the court yeah um 2017 2018 and 2019 seasons he only he only uh he's he started all but one game uh, so he played 34 games in 2017. He started 33 of them. Played 34 games in 2018. Started 34 of them. Played 28 games in 2019. Started 28 of them. And you mentioned a walking bucket. This is a guy who averaged a 42% field goal percentage over yeah. there in Seton Hall. So, uh, you know, whoever is able to get their hands on this guy, they're getting a good piece. This is a guy I've seen play in person in March Madness against uh, Wofford uh, when they were here a few years ago. And like you said, he had that phenomenal game against Kentucky in Madison Square Garden that one year where uh, he hit a buzzer beater to take the lead late. I think Kentucky yeah. ended up hitting a half-court shot, but he came back in overtime with some more miraculous buckets uh, and just really being able to showcase what he can do in one of the nation's you know, most prestigious basketball arenas. So, you know, maybe the Knicks are a team that, that signs him and he ends up back in that garden. We'll see. Who knows? But uh, I definitely agree surprising that he went undrafted he's got a lot of talent and a lot of potential to be a good player 
in the NBA. One thing about him that I like a lot, and I think uh, a team, a contender, would really benefit from being able to get a guy like him. Obviously, he's not someone that you want to be the ball-dominant guard coming up the uh, court, considering his turnover struggles in the past. However... Getting him to be more of a, a, a just a knockdown three point shooter, maybe the Los Angeles Lakers who want to surround LeBron with guys that can right. shoot from the perimeter, being able to continue that because I mean they lost Danny Green despite his struggles this season. Yep. Miles Powell is a guy you can go out grab. He's young, you can develop him, and he can immediately step in and be that three point shooter for the Los Angeles Lakers to be able to give them a bit of an edge on the offensive side of the ball if they do falter with LeBron, Anthony Davis, if those teams kind of key in on them, dish it out to the outside and him knocking them down right and you know with the season starting pretty much a month from today i think december 22nd is the official start date of the nba uh, you know with the season vastly approaching you would like to see him get signed you would like to see all these other undrafted rookies uh get signed to some teams and uh you know it is going to be challenging for these rookies with the season approaching so fast they're going to be thrown right in there pretty much a month from today and it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. But I think a lot of teams got better in last night's draft. And, uh, you know, with the quickly approaching season, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm ready to see how this NBA season goes. And it's going to be fun. Absolutely. And the, the only the last thing I'm going to touch on this is that I, I kind of feel for some of the rookies this season, there's going to be a lot of high expectations despite a, not, a lot right. of, not a lot of time to be able to work on their craft. And therefore, we're going to see – I feel like we're going to see a bit of a uh, – there's there's going to be the few peak players that are able to compete at that high level simply given talent. Anthony Edwards being the first one that pops in my right. mind. However, for the most part, I think we see a learning curve this season. This is more of like a, a transition period for a lot of these young players, and they're not going to be able to light up the court as some rookies have in the past. Obviously, it's new, it's not very often we see it, but last season we kind of saw John Morant step out and be that guy that kind of highlighted this rookie class while Zion Williamson was out with injury. I don't right. see that happening uh, in in the same scope because of the limited time to be able to find themselves get themselves accustomed to playing with their new team, get used to the NBA lifestyle, and still being able to go out and produce on a night to night basis when really they only have a month to get used to, uh, to to get into this transition from college or international if you're Lamelo Ball or RJ Hampton right. into um, the NBA. Yeah, it'll be it'll certainly be interesting to see how it goes but in my what's on my mind by the way i think i think we went with a joint so i don't really have anything else to really say i'm ready to get into some college football talk absolutely uh, do we want to go right into the gators or do we want to start with Let, some big 10 struggles let's or? let's start okay let's start with the big 10 Okay. okay, so the Big Ten this season obviously hasn't been great i mean i'm, lo- I'm looking down their uh their win loss records i'm pretty sure they're they're even 25 and 25. All right. Yeah. And uh, they've only, the, the most the team has played is four games. There's yeah. two teams at 4 0 in Northwestern and Indiana. Two teams that you kind of look at, and you're like, what? How are they? Yeah. Uh, but then there's some head scratchers because going into the season, we believed the Penn State Nittany Lions to not be 0 and 4. We believed them to be one of the better teams. The Minnesota Golden Gophers, who are now 1 and 3, we're just looking at these teams that are normally pretty solid. Uh, in in terms of being able to produce, at least Minnesota was last season, and we I know we were both high on PJ Fleck as a head coach. Um, yeah. at, at least I was. I know I know for a fact I was. But um, we're seeing some From of these. Both, well, man, I love PJ Fleck. We're seeing some of these well coached teams struggle this season, 
And is that just a side effect of not being able to play the season when it sh- when it was supposed to start? I I think I think that has to be where the struggles from the Big Ten are coming from. I mean, they just went through so much turmoil and controversy with the season being canceled and whatnot. And I think I think it's shown in a lot of teams a lot of these slow starts. I mean, just a team I want to pinpoint specifically. I was watching them play Indiana this past Saturday. Michigan State just looked incompetent as a football team. I mean, for crying out loud, they lost to Rutgers uh, and they got blanked by Indiana on a 12 p.m. Uh, ABC slot on national TV. This is a Michigan State team that has only scored 61 points on the season and has given up 135. I mean, they are being outplayed badly every time they take the field. Michigan is another team, this Jim Harbaugh-led squad. uh, You know, they continue to be on a decline. And the question coming into the season was, could this be the year Michigan beats Ohio State? Well, you know, they're, they're one in three and that's, you know, it's not even a guarantee that they go out there and beat Rutgers on Saturday night. Uh, you know, Michigan, Michigan has just looked bad. They look like they're reeling. We talked about Minnesota, Tanner Morgan, this team's coming back from a fantastic year. He hasn't been great. Neither is the team as a whole. Uh, you know, the bright spot for them is probably Muhammad Ibrahim with 10 touchdowns on the season. That's about it. Uh, guys like Rashad Bateman uh, and some of these other playmakers that Minnesota has, haven't been able to get the ball in their hands and it's just been an ugly season. It results in them being one and three. So, you know, and while a lot of these teams are performing bad, like you said, you got Northwestern and Indiana who both sit atop their divisions respectively at four and oh. So is the big 10 struggling as a whole? No, but there are a lot of struggles. Whereas there are a couple outlier teams having great season. Then obviously Ohio state's the constant and, you know, we still got to, you know, we still don't really know a whole lot about Wisconsin. They've been dominant in their two games they've played. But the issue is they've only played two games because of COVID issues. They go up against Northwestern on Saturday. It's going to be a road game We're gonna uh, have on ABC. Yeah. That's going to be 10 versus 19. Gonna, uh, those we, are their respective ranks. So I think we'll get a better idea of both teams in that game on Saturday. We have two games this weekend that really decide the top of both the Big Ten East and the Big Ten West with Ohio State, yeah. Indiana, and Northwestern, Wisconsin. And if you would have told me at the beginning of the year that this would be the week that you decide the top of it. And really, when when I say decide the top, I mean whoever wins these games are likely going to go throughout the rest of the season as that and they will meet in the Big Ten Championship. It's like a mini Big Ten playoff. Yes, it, it, that's exactly what it is. And you mentioned how – Wisconsin has been dominant in their two games. Dominant is even – it's an understatement considering yeah. they've outscored their opponents 94-18. to 18. It has yeah. not been anywhere close. Um, and, and on the back of Graham Mertz, who's played phenomenal this year. Uh, and, and it's just – there's so many things that the top of these teams do well. And then, like you said, there's the Michigan Wolverines, the Michigan State Spartans, the Penn State Nittany Lions – that are all struggling in the East. And then you have the, obviously Nebraska, Illinois and Minnesota at the, at the bottom of the barrel in the West. And it's just, it's so hard to fathom how some of these big 10 teams aren't putting together the seasons that we believe them to have put together. Like, Michigan came out with a huge statement victory over Minnesota to start the season. We were thinking that they were going to be able to compete with Ohio State this year, um, at least get to the game and make it a bit of a uh, an interesting matchup. And we were kind of praising Joe Milton for what he was able to do against Minnesota. 
and then he comes out and he puts up some stinkers, and now he's sitting here at 58.7% completion with a one-to-one interception or touchdown to interception ratio. So it, at the end of the day, it's just about these teams not being able to execute. They're not being able to do the things that they need to do to be able to put themselves in a position to compete with the Ohio States or the Wisconsin's of this uh, of this conference. I certainly agree. And, you know, I don't really feel this. And, you know, the Big Ten isn't the only conference in this position by no means at all. The Pac-12 was in a similar position. They actually got a later start to the year than the than, than the Big Ten did. And I, I feel like I haven't seen a lot of these same struggles with some of these Pac-12 teams. Granted, all of them have only played two games or less. But, I mean, you got Oregon sitting at 2-0. and You got Colorado sitting at 2-0. and You got USC sitting at 2-0. and uh, You know, I feel like I feel like in this brief time that even the Pac-12 has been playing, their their programs have been able have been able to put a better product on the field than some of these big name Big Ten teams that have just like you said came out and dropped stinkers week after week. I mean, for crying out loud, this is a conference that you know if if BYU was in the Big Ten, they might have a chance of winning it this year. That's just how good they've been. I mean, obviously this is Ohio State's conference to lose, but just considering how bad some of the teams have been in the Big Ten this year, it's been very weird. But you know what? We still got some ranked matchups coming from that conference this week. We got Ohio State, Indiana, which we're going to get into later in the show. And, you know, as long as Ohio State continues to step on the gas and give this conference a shot to be represented in the playoff, and I think ultimately at the end of the day, these struggles of the Big Ten aren't going to matter that much. If Ohio State came out and they uh, underperformed and they weren't executing and they found themselves at, you know, two and two or uh, you know, one and two or something, it would be a whole different story with this conference. But yeah. I think Ohio State's dominant play has been able to keep the Big Ten afloat a little bit. I'm not really sure about teams like Northwestern and Wisconsin, how they're going to finish out the season. But uh, you can bank on Ohio State uh, to keep the Big Ten in some type of playoff contention as the year goes on. They've been the bright spot for sure. Yeah, and I feel like in every conference that there's always the teams at the top. And then from there... Uh, you know, like in the SEC, you kind of have middle of the pack for the most part um, in terms of who, else, who the, all the others um, in those spots. But I've never seen it, obviously, with only playing these conference games. I feel like the, the, the division between the top and the bottom for every conference is just so much uh, more spread out. And uh, especially right. in the SEC, the Big Ten... I don't see that. Obviously, there's the two teams for both conference at the top. And then for the bottom, it's like almost all of them are at the bottom. There's no middle of the pack teams. It's either top or your, you know, they're, they're either good or they're not. And so right. uh, I think while there are good teams in the Big Ten, there aren't any teams that uh, really can come into those second and third roles um, right. as, a, as a squad. Um, speaking of top and the bottom or top in the middle um this past weekend florida and arkansas battled it out yeah. in the swamp and felipe franks's return to uh gainesville for the first time since he transferred uh into being a hog with uh, uh with the razorbacks and uh, under sam Pittman, who is the first year head coach of arkansas and florida was able to put a smackdown on arkansas uh this weekend right. uh, obviously with a stellar offensive performance and a a Heisman-like uh, moment or game for Kyle Trask, who asserted himself with five touchdown passes in the first half um, before throwing six for the game in general. So what did you see this past week from Kyle Trask or from the Gators team 
that gives you belief in the future that if they do find that themselves in that eventual matchup with Alabama in the SEC Championship, that they could possibly win right. it? Or do you still have concerns with their team for playing a team like Alabama? I mean, Kyle Trask on Saturday was 23 of 29 for 356 yards and six touchdowns. It, I think that's really all you need to know. It doesn't get much better than that. I mean, as a QB, you just – you really – can't play much better than that i thought florida uh you know they ran the ball 45 times they yep. really uh kept the ball on the ground that's something i like to see you had three different players with eight plus rushes and then uh we saw we were at that florida georgia game a few few weeks ago where uh we kind of we didn't really see Kadarius tony get the ball that much he came out with seven catches in 57 yards and kyle trask spread the ball around beautifully in this game. Uh, you know, Trevon Grimes had six catches. Xavier Henderson had three. Kadarius Toney had seven. Uh, you know, Jacob Koblen had a catch two for 33 yards. And, uh, you know, the, the offense just continues to click on all cylinders. And, uh, you know, whether they're going up against a lesser defense of the SEC like Arkansas or, you know, one of the better defenses of the SEC like Georgia, this Florida offense has proved – that they can play with anybody. And that's why I'm not really concerned for them to go up against Bama because, um, you know, Florida can score points on anyone. And, you know, even if Bama's going to answer back and score points on Florida, it's it's not like this Bama defense is going to hold Florida to 14 points and they're going to win the game 35 to 14. Yeah. When, when Florida and Bama see each other in the SEC championship, this is going to be you know a high-scoring game it's gonna in the really, 40s. It's going to really yeah. be about who can get a stop. Right. It, it, whichever team can get last. exactly. You know, so uh and you know, just just to give some praise to Felipe Franks, fifteen and nineteen for two hundred and fifty yards, two touchdowns. That's a pretty solid game to have in your return to your hometown. But obviously, you know, the score was sixty three to thirty five. This was a game that Florida was just one step ahead the whole time. And uh, you know, it, it showed it showed on the scoreboard and it yeah. shows in the standings and it shows in the national rankings. Florida, I think, should uh, you know, they should continue to keep on moving up the ranks. And uh, we talk about this stretch that they have to end the season. I believe they got to play uh, Kentucky and then they got to play, or they got to play Vanderbilt, then Kentucky, then Tennessee, then LSU. I mean, this is a Gators team that should finish nine and one. And we should expect more performances like this from Trask down the line, because yeah. I don't think any of those teams pose any kind of threat to stopping this Gators offense. Yeah. And a major, uh, uh, positive obviously there's a bunch of positives but a major positive that you that can be taken from this is the fact that they were able to put up their highest point total on the season without Kyle Pitts the most dominant right. pass catcher in all of college football they proved that he is not a necessity for their offense he's more of a an asset he can right. he, he can be added he doesn't have to be the offense and we saw that by how Kyle Trask who already does this really well in terms of being able to spread out the football obviously he got it to guys like Trayvon Grimes, Xavier Henderson, Kadarius Tony, Keon Zipperer, Jacob Copeland and even Justin Shorter and uh you know being able to have this more of a spread out look is really nice because now Kyle Pitts just brings even more to that offense they understand that they can beat us in multitude of different ways. And I really like seeing Trayvon Grimes step up in the absence of Kyle Pitts. He had six catches for 109 yards and two touchdowns on the day. And Trayvon Grimes is a guy that if he was getting targeted as much as, um, you know, 
as much as some of the other receivers around the country, he'd be looked at as one of the best because he brings the skill set to the table. He's just in an offense that likes to spread the ball around. And he's came out and said that he is okay with that. He understands that. And he feels that his skill set speaks for itself when he does touch the football. So at the end of the day, we saw this Gators offense not only spread the ball around, not only put the points on the board, but do it without one of the best in the game. And you mentioned how they ran, rushed the football 45 times for 208 yards. I think that had a major impact on the Razorbacks, considering Felipe Franks only got to throw the ball 19 times. I mean, he, he only had four incompletions, um, and he had two bombs for touchdowns. I think they were went for 83 and 82, um, his two touchdown passes. So the explosive plays are still there for Florida's defense, and that could cause concern against a team that is known for its explosive plays in Alabama if that game does happen. But dominating the time of possession by almost 18 minutes for Florida is what was the uh, that that made the difference in this game completely. Obviously, I don't think that uh, Arkansas really had the ability to beat Florida. That I don't think they had the talent to be able to hang with the likes of Florida. However, showing that they can rush the football, showing that they can keep the football in their possession and not allow the opposing offense to be able to have the time to make have those methodical scoring drives down the field and being able to limit Arkansas when they tried to really showed promise for the future despite the big plays still being a concern yeah and you're you're right i mean mike woods for arkansas two catches 129 yards and two touchdowns but you know those big plays and and that that that's what having a good offense can do for a struggling defense i mean like i said this is a gators team that was one step ahead the whole time i I mean i believe they went into halftime up 35 14 i think or maybe 42 14 I know Trask threw a bomb at the end of the half to extend the lead. I just can't remember exactly what the score was. But, you know, when, when you're up 30 and – th- and this isn't the first time the Florida Gators have been up. They were up 35-14 at halftime. Yes, I'm, looking yeah. at the, uh, I'm looking at the score box right here. Yeah. Um, but And it's not the first time the Gators have been up that big at halftime either. I mean, they were up 17 on Georgia at halftime. And, you know, even if uh, the, the Gators' defense did give up a touchdown drive, or, uh, you know, some points in the second half, it didn't matter because, you know, that Georgia offense just wasn't good enough to overcome, uh, you know, the deficit. And when your offense can build those type of leads, even if you have a struggling defense, uh, you know, this is a Gators team that scored 63 points. That's, that's what, nine touchdowns? that's That's nine touchdowns right there. I mean, there's, there are very few offenses in the country that can keep up with that. Yeah. Um, and it's you don't even have to score 63 points. They could get away with scoring 40, and there are still a lot of offenses in the country that probably wouldn't be able to keep up with that. The, the problem is when they can't extend that lead and they pl- they find themselves in a game against, like, Texas A&M, yeah. uh, you know, where Texas A&M stuck around, kept it close, and they were able to pull out the win in the end. But, you know, it's, it's, not, it's also not like Texas A&M is a bad team. This is the number five-ranked team in the country, Texas A&M. So, uh, you know... As the season has progressed, that has actually turned out to not be such a horrible loss for the Gators. And the fact that they were able to beat Georgia and keep their positioning in the SEC East has been good for them. Florida will find themselves playing either Bama or Texas A&M in the SEC championship. And I think this defense has improved throughout the season. I don't think they're going to go out and give up 41 points like they did against Texas A&M. But I just think this Gators team is better equipped at this point in the season to take on one of those Bama or Texas A&M teams compared to where they were, say, 
week three or even week two when they were giving up 30 plus to teams like Ole Miss and stuff like that. So, yeah. uh, you know, I'm very impressed with the progression of this Gators team through the years. And I, I think, I think I see their defense holding up. I see them finishing out the regular season strong and, uh, you know, it's just going to be a matter of which defense shows up in Atlanta uh, yeah, yeah. Um, for the SEC championship. Yeah, it's really just about limiting those big plays because, you know, they were able to keep it within the parameters that they wanted. I mean, I, I, I misspoke earlier when I said that uh, Felipe Franks threw two touchdown passes of over 80 yards. He threw one of over 80, one of 47, and they had Treland Smith run for 83 yards um, for a touchdown. So, I mean, it, it was a... It was a night where the big plays hurt Florida and they hurt their defense. And really, just at the end of the day, that's just about staying home, understanding your assignments, and just being able to being able to do your job, as Todd Grantham said earlier this week in a press conference. He felt that doing your job was the key to being able to stop these big plays, being able to not try to do too much, which a lot of the time the safeties for Florida try to do too much. Um, I'm pretty sure... Uh, at the end of the game, they had a 12-yard run with 40 seconds left. So the score, 63-35, is a bit skewed. It's more 63-28 with a late score for Arkansas. However, that's still what's on the board uh, for Florida. They now go into a, a to play defeated Vanderbilt team, who really imposes no threat to Florida. However, Florida, since this is a year that they all only play SEC teams, we're going to get to see Florida in what really will be their only chance at having a tune-up game on the year on the road in Nashville against Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt they might not uh, ha- they, they might not bring the same uh, ability to the table uh, or they might bring more ability to the table than those previous tune-up games that they've had in recent years against FCS teams. However, right. they're still a team that they can work on things. They can be able to take risks to be because they know that they can beat the team. They can beat a Vanderbilt team um, if, right. if they need to. So just being able to hone in on some of the areas of concern is going to be beneficial, in my opinion, for Florida as they progress throughout the rest of the season. But um, speaking of progressing throughout the rest of the season, we're now moving into Week Twelve of the enough yeah. or in the, of the NCAA year, and it's week what six, five or six for the Big Ten. Um, and the yeah. Big Ten, we, we were talking about it a bit earlier, but um, let's. I want to talk about a bit about this Indiana Ohio State game, and I want to ask you, what do you think from is going to occur in this game um, between the Buckeyes and the Hoosiers? Well, I'm looking at the spread right now. It's got Ohio State as minus 20 and a half. That's a pretty big spread, uh, you know, considering both teams coming to this game undefeated. And this is an Indiana team that's 4-0, led by Michael Penix Jr., who's completed nearly 61% of his passes with nine touchdowns against three interceptions. So we talk about guys on this show like Ian Book and other quarterbacks who have low interception totals on the year. Well, when they go up against some of these better teams – what do these teams need to do to win these games? What did Notre Dame have to do to beat Clemson? It was limit the turnovers. They did that, and they found themselves in a position in the end to win that game. This is going to be the same thing. Uh, in Indiana has been playing good football on the year, but they haven't quite played in Ohio State yet. So this is this is going to be an interesting game. He, he's got a strong supporting cast around him too, Penix does. He's got Stevie Scott and Samson James. Uh, in He's got – I don't even know how to say this guy's last name uh, – True. They got they got some Fry, weird last Fry, name waters. Fry, Fry Fogel. Fry Fogel. I don't know. So they, he's got Fry Fogel and he's got Wap Filer. You know, twenty four catches each on the year, and they got a good tight end too, Peyton Hendershot. So he's got a good cast of weapons. But the key number here 
is those three interceptions. When this game is over, is that total going to stay at three or is it going to be up to six? Is it going to be up to five? You know, this is an Ohio State team that is ruthless and unforgiving and they can score on any part of the field and you don't want to be giving them short fields. If, if they're going to if 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 you're going to pump the ball to Ohio State and they're going to start their drives at their own 15 and they're going to march down and score on your defense. Fine. So be it. That's just how good Ohio State is. Uh, but if Penix is going to go out there and throw interceptions and they're going to look sloppy on offense and, you know, they're they're, they're going to have bad handoffs on RPOs and put the ball on the ground and stuff like that, then this is going to be a very easy game for the Ohio State Buckeyes. But I I see this being a close game. I I think there's a lot of motivation for Indiana coming into this game. And, you know, even if it's at Ohio State, it's not going to be that large crowd. Columbus isn't going to be packed to the brim with 100K. You know, this is going to be, I believe, when I was watching Ohio State play uh, their first game of the year against Nebraska, there was like, uh, if, if if there was even anyone there at all, there was like 200 people in there. And I think they were all parents. I don't think the Big Ten is really allowing fans at all in that regard. So, uh, you know, this is a really good opportunity for Indiana because the home field advantage is almost kind of wiped off to the side. And it's not like the cold weather of Columbus or anything is going to play a factor because, you know, Indiana plays in similar weather conditions over in their home stadium. So, I think I think this is a good game for Indiana because they get to go into an empty stadium. They're 4-0. They have a good cast of offensive weapons, and they just get to focus on the team that's lined up on the other side of the ball from them, which is Ohio State. You don't have to worry about fans flashing you or flipping you off in the stands or, you know, doing anything like that. You know, this is Indiana versus Ohio State, nothing else. And I think Ohio State's going to win this game. I don't think they're going to cover that spread, though. I think Indiana is going to, uh, stick in it and you know even if it is an Ohio State blowout I think Indiana will make some noise late in the game either way I don't see Ohio State covering that spread this is just too big of a game for Indiana I don't I don't see them letting this one get away from them but at the same time I see Ohio State you know taking it like 35 to 20 or 34 to 17 like that I just think Ohio State's too good and this is going to be Ohio State's first big win of the season uh, and you know it it it's the same chance for Indiana to get a huge win. And just imagine how far Indiana would jump up in the rankings if they were to win this game. I just, I just don't really see it happening. I think, I think it's going to be a good game. It'll start off close, but um, you know, Ohio state is just too good on offense. They're going to pull away and they're going to win. I think that I agree with you in that it's going to be a good game early. I think it's going to be a bit of a battle early on. Um, however, I think the difference comes with Penix Jr. And like you said, those three interceptions that we're, we're looking at right here to only nine touchdowns. And he's going against one of the best cornerbacks in the entire NCAA and probably a top 15 pick in Sean Wade. He's a Jacksonville boy that plays for the Ohio State right. Buckeyes. So I think that uh, while the Buckeyes are going to be able to put up that performance um, in terms of being able to dominate uh, uh, per se against uh, uh, an Indiana defense that has been you know, they've been okay, but I mean, they've allowed 35 points to uh, Penn State and then 21 respectively to each Michigan and Rutgers. And then last week they shut out Michigan State. Um, right. So, you know, they've been, they've had their ups and downs, They've but they've started to plateau as the seasons went on with uh, building confidence. However, stopping Justin Fields is a different, uh, it is a different beast. He has been a phenomenal addition for the Ohio State Buckeyes since he transferred from Georgia. And because of that, we're looking at uh, Justin Fields being able to um, add on to an already pretty solid season 
Um, I mean, he's throwing, he's completing almost, uh, he's completing 86% of his passes right now. 86. That is, that is just otherworldly yeah. for three games through the year. So uh, I just don't see uh, Indiana being able to stop this Ohio State offense while I see the Ohio State offense being able to stop Indiana or the Ohio State defense being able to stop Indiana. I think it's a close game early on with Big State with Ohio State pulling away late. And I'm going to take Ohio State in the spread. I think they win by three touchdowns and really make a statement for um, the Big Ten and kind of and, and further that gap of teams at the top and the ones in the middle. Okay, yeah. So the, the main reason I am not picking Ohio State to cover, I'm looking at the stat right here. This is an Indiana defense that is only allowing 210 pass yards and 19 points a game. So it really is going to be a test for the Buckeyes. And I'm, I'm curious to kind of see what coverages Indiana is going to throw out there in the beginning of the game and see if they can maybe fool Justin Fields into a couple turnovers and maybe break that streak because Justin Fields has gotten off to a start that sees him throwing 11 touchdowns to zero interceptions. Can Indiana go out there and get one of those early turnovers with their dominant defense? We'll see. Uh, but I, I still I still think this is going to be a game where Ohio State figures out the defense throughout the course of the game, and it leads to a comfortable victory. So yeah. I, we both got a, yeah. you got something else? I just have one more thing. You mentioned how the, their, their defensive numbers, and yes, I respect those defensive numbers. However, they haven't seen a team like Ohio State yet. They've seen right. a Penn State team that is 0-4, a Rutgers team that has one win, a Michigan team that has one win, and a Michigan State team that has one win. They haven't seen uh, I, an Ohio State team that can put up points with the best of them in all of college football. And an Indiana team is not used to coming into these big games undefeated to be able to play Ohio State. The last time they played Ohio State last season, they lost 52-10. to 10. I, don't right. see, I don't see that happening, but I don't see them being able to hang with the likes of Ohio State, who has talent all over the field. They're, they're, there's no holes for this Ohio State team. And therefore, we're going to see Ohio State take care of business and assert themselves in a year that... While they might only have seven games, they have to make statements against the teams that actually are ranked within the Big Ten. Right. So we both got Ohio State. Another little thing to keep an eye on, I don't think it's going to be a huge factor. You know, Ohio State's game against Maryland did get canceled last week. They had to take, uh, you know, an unplanned bye week. So we'll see if there's, you know, any rust given they've only played three games and then had to take another break after taking an already longer break and starting the season a bit later. We'll see if any of that plays a factor. I personally don't think so. Like I said, and like we both agree, this is going to be a close game in the beginning. Ohio State pulls away. Uh, nothing new. You just you you can. I think it's I think it's reasonable to not take Ohio State to cover the spread, but in no way is it reasonable to think Indiana is going to win this game yeah. because I just don't see it. And I feel like with Indiana being four zero, I just feel like it's a little too good to be true. And I feel like you're seeing a lot of teams in this 2020 season get off to good starts. And there are a couple factors for that. I mean, a uh, you know, some teams got off to earlier starts than others. B, there are just some teams that, uh, you know, are struggling because of these late starts and whatnot. And, uh, you know, that's why we're seeing teams like Coastal Carolina and Liberty ranked. And not to take away from them, they're having fantastic years. But, uh, you know, this is – um, and I kind of feel like Indiana's in the same boat too. I just feel like they've they've – they're a team that hasn't been bit by the slow start bug and they've been able to take advantage of those other teams in their conference that have, such as Michigan and Michigan State and Penn State. So that's why I think Indiana finds themselves where they are, and they're in for a rough challenge against the Buckeyes from Ohio State. We'll see how it goes. Uh, and then our second half of our little double preview here, unless you got something else to say. No, I'm ready. Um, Get into Bedlam. 
Oklahoma State and Oklahoma, this is going to be a good game in the Big 12. And it is a Big 12 game, which means there won't be defense, which means this game will probably have a final score of 59 to 56. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's going to be a good game. This is a Lincoln-Riley-Oklahoma squad that struggled a bit this year. Uh, they suffered a couple losses early on in the season, but they found their way back a little bit, I feel like. They've hit uh, they've their stride able... for sure. They've started uh, to hit and... their stride. Yeah, de- definitely. And, you know, like I said, this is a team that suffered losses to Kansas State and Iowa State, which that was a really bad loss because Iowa State has just not been, uh, you know, kind of that team that we thought they would be this year. But that, that's besides the point. They were able to come back, get a win over Texas, put TCU in the dirt, put Texas Tech in the dirt, put Kansas in the dirt. And now it's them versus Oklahoma. And this is a huge game for the Big 12 uh, because this is really going to uh, determine what how the course of the Big 12 season goes in terms of can a team get into the playoff. Uh, we talked about that Oklahoma State-Texas game. Um, I had Oklahoma State on upset alert. I think you picked them to win. Oklahoma State dropped that game. They lost to yeah. Texas, and that, that hurt because they were the last remaining undefeated Big Ten team at the time. And if Oklahoma, if Oklahoma wins this game, you'll have both teams at two losses. And uh, with, with that being the you know, the best record in the big 12, only two losses, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be a difficult time seeing a big 12 team get in the playoff at all. You have Iowa state with one loss as well, but uh, Iowa, you know, Iowa state has two losses. Do they? Yeah. Oh, uh, well I'm looking at the score app and it said they only had one, but you're, you're right on that. They do. Cause they lost to Oklahoma state and Louisiana. Yeah. So, um, you know, every team in there is going to have two losses, and it's hard to see a two-loss team getting in the playoff, especially when it comes from a conference like the Big Ten where defense is non-existent. So and I, I like Oklahoma to win this game because, like you said, they hit their stride. Uh, Spencer Rattler, who's gotten off to a slow start, has started to find his groove a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I think he's going to keep that up in this game. I think uh, I, I just don't really see, especially after Oklahoma State dropped that game, to Texas, I think, I you know, I, I thought they had the Big 12 in their grasp at that time. They they should have beaten that game. Texas has struggled this year. And, uh, you know, I, it's hard to pick against Oklahoma late in the season unless it's a college football playoff game where they annually lose by 30 points. Uh, you know, late regular season games usually tend to go Oklahoma's way. That's when they hit their stride. It's going to be a big performance from Rattler, and the Sooners are going to come out on top. I think what we need to see from Oklahoma State is just being able to stay true to themselves, utilizing Chuba Hubbard um, mm-hmm. to their, his full extent and allowing him to uh, carry the football upwards of 25 to 30 times against an <laughs> Oklahoma State team. They're going to have to keep the ball out of that offense's hand because Oklahoma is a team that, since struggling early on in the year, have found their way back, as you've said, and as a result... They're averaging 46.1 points per game while only allowing 24.4. I mean, you said how defense is non-existent in the Big 12. However, Oklahoma State's only allowing 17 points per game. So it's kind of uh, a give or take. And so we're going to have to see. It's really going to be about that. uh, Can Oklahoma State keep up with Oklahoma in terms of their scoring prowess? We saw, um, you know, Oklahoma at times struggle to be able to... to, um, score points like against TCU they only scored 33 which is a pretty low scoring game in the Big 12 so I just think that while I I'm going to pick Oklahoma in this game I'm going to say that the Sooners come out on top because of what we've seen as of late with the with the unit um, stepping up to the plate after dropping two early on 
if Chuba Hubbard has a day, if he's able to dominate that Oklahoma defense the way it can be dominated on the ground, this game should be uh, much less than that seven-point spread in favor of Oklahoma. And we could even see Oklahoma State um, find their way to pull one out. But uh, I'm going to take Oklahoma in a in – a, a, I, I don't want to say a shootout because I don't think it's going to be like, you know, 40-something to 40-something. But I will say – or 50-something to 50-something. But I will say it will probably be 40 th- uh, 40s, maybe even high 30s um, for yeah. this one. I'm going to take Oklahoma by uh, – I'm let's say let's say 44 to 41. Okay. I, think, I think they win by a field goal. Yeah, something I'm looking at here is interesting. Uh, you know, the Cowboys have a dominant defense on third downs, and we are talking about the Oklahoma State Cowboys, not the Dallas Cowboys, because the Dallas Cowboys do not know how to play defense this year. But um, the Oklahoma State Cowboys have a dominant defense on third downs, uh, but the Oklahoma Sooners' offense is one of the best in the Big 12 on third downs. So I think that's what this game is going to come down to. Who can get the edge on third downs? Can Oklahoma State get Oklahoma off the field? Or can Spencer Rattler and company keep drives alive and eat the clock? Uh, this is an Oklahoma team that owns the clock. Uh, and, you know, they, they've had a, a dominant run D as well. So that's going to be an interesting matchup for uh, Chubba Hubbard. So I, I think these teams match up very well against each other. I really think I do. And, um, you know, I said 59-56. That was just a bit more of a jab at the Big Ten or Big 12 in recent years, not really being able to play defense. And uh, you usually see Oklahoma in a lot of those high-scoring games. But um, I do think it's going to be a bit low, uh, a bit more low-scoring than that. I think a few things that factor into that is, A, uh, in some of these big games that Oklahoma has played, they just haven't put up as many points because, uh, you know, they Rattler is still a little inexperienced and has made some mistakes. And I, I, I see this being, a you know, maybe a 41-35 type game, 38-35, 40-37, something like that. It's going to be somewhere in that range, yeah. uh, you know, high high 30s, low 40s, just like you said. I think it's going to be a good game. So looking forward to it. We got some good games in college football this week. We got, uh, you know, essentially a, a Big Ten playoff for division supremacy, Wisconsin going up against Northwestern and Ohio State taking on Indiana. And then we got – Another game here in the Big 12 that will tell us a lot about the future of the Big 12 as this season hits the home stretch. So, uh, you know, a lot going on in college football this weekend, and I'm, I'm ready to take in all of it. I'm going to throw out something right now as we uh, start to close the show. Um, if Ohio State loses at any point this season, at any point, there will be no team representing the Big 12 or the Big 10 in the playoffs. We're going to have to see, for the first time, a group of five team in the playoffs. Because if Ohio, I don't. if Ohio State loses at any point this season, we're not going to see a Big Ten. And then if, you know, if obviously if Oklahoma State wins, which, which we predict, there's not going to be a Big 12 either. And so we're going to okay, see it. We're going to see our first group of five. Okay, so let, yeah, I mean, probably. Because I don't. Let's say, in, let's say in, but in. If Indiana wins on, or let's say Indiana beats Ohio State Saturday, and they win out the season and win the Big Ten, then they're undefeated. So you I have to imagine they get consideration because they're ranked number nine right now, and a yeah. win over number three Ohio State would just shoot them up the rankings. They would be top five if they beat Ohio State on Saturday. I think. What I'm saying is that I don't see any other team in the Big Ten being able to not only stay undefeated, but right. have the credentials to be able to get in. 
because of the short no, season. Because they're already on thin ice with being able to get in because of how yeah. long this year is for them. If any other, if Ohio State, you might be able to throw Wisconsin into the conversation. However, they're going to have even less games than everyone else. They're going to end up playing like six, right? Yeah. So they're gonna have they're gonna have even less games. So it's gonna be very very hard to put in a Wisconsin team. It's gonna be very very hard to put in a one loss Ohio State team. It's gonna be very yeah. hard for Indiana to continue to have success, especially when they have to play both Ohio State and Wisconsin. So yeah. are we going or to or maybe Northwestern in that championship? Yeah, game, it's it's gonna on. it's gonna be a uh, a rather no because Indiana has to play. Ohio State and then Wisconsin. If and so if Wisconsin loses, right. they'll have to play Northwestern. Yeah, but they'll have yeah. they'll have to. It'll be a big mess in that Big right. Ten. So that's going to be yeah, tough. So big Twelve is going to be at, tough. It's it's look, playoff is going to be crazy. You might see two yeah. SCT teams. You might see you know two uh, or you might see if the first group of five team there. If anything happens this weekend between Ohio State losing or uh, let's say Wisconsin loses too. Or yeah. Oklahoma State drops, things are going to get crazy in college football, which it would be yeah. so fitting for 2020. So, just kind of looking at the playoff picture, I mean, whoever wins the SEC, which at this point, you know, it could be Florida, it could be Texas A&M, it could be Bama. Well, one of them will get in. Well, Bama has then, to lose twice for Texas A&M to get in because they already beat Texas yeah. A&M. So that oh, would be that's a stretch. So it's going to pretty much be Florida or Bama that gets in. Yeah, from the SEC. Uh, the ACC, you got Clemson and Notre Dame going down to the wire. Yeah, uh, one of those two will get in, and then we're looking. Probably, we're not going to see a Pac-12 team. Probably, nope. we're we might get Ohio State, but if Ohio State loses, we might not. But let's go ahead and I don't see Ohio State losing. I don't either. I was just throwing that out there. Yeah, I I think I think if I had to give a playoff prediction, I I think it would be. Because uh, I I think Florida's going to win the SEC. You've got me on the Florida train. Um, <laughs> So I think it's going to be Florida. I think, you know, even with Clemson losing to Notre Dame, they're going to get their crap figured out. I think they'll, they'll, they will beat Notre Dame in a rematch in the ACC championship or whoever they have to play in the ACC championship for that matter. Clemson will win. We'll see Clemson in the playoff. So I think we'll see Florida, Clemson, Ohio state. And then that fourth seed is going to be weird. That fourth seed yeah. is really going to be up for grabs. Could it be a second SEC team? Maybe. I don't really like the idea of a team not winning their conference, making the playoff, but you know, we've seen it happen before. It's happened multiple times. Uh, we saw Ohio state make the playoff in a year where Penn state won the big 10 and Penn state didn't make the playoff. It was weird, but uh, that's the route the committee uh, decided to take. But, you know, you got teams on the outside looking in like Cincinnati or BYU. Cincinnati's got a big game, uh, you know, against the UCF Knights this weekend in Orlando, definitely a trap game for the Bearcats as UCF has had a bunch of success against Cincinnati in the past. So that's going to be an interesting game for uh, Dylan Gabriel and company as they go up against that daunting Cincinnati defense. And we'll see what happens there in the bounce house. And, uh, you know, BYU has a pretty easy stretch to close out the season. I believe, I think they're trying to get more games on that schedule, but I don't really know what's going to happen with that. So it's going to be interesting. I, I think, I think Florida slash Bama, Clemson slash Notre Dame and Ohio State are locks. Yeah. And the only reason I have the little slash there for Florida, Bama, Clemson, Notre Dame is because, uh, you know, we haven't seen Clemson, Notre Dame play yet with Lawrence in there, and we haven't seen Florida, Bama play yet, so we don't really know how those matchups are going to go. But, you know, it's it's getting to that time of year where we're really starting to speculate who's going to make that playoff, and, you know, Selection Sunday is is looming, and 
Uh, you know, there's a lot of action that can needs to continue to take place before we really get an idea. But like you said, uh, there's a potential for a lot of chaos to ensue this week. And, uh, you know, college football fans love chaos. So I think we'll see what happens. I think the best – so um, you mentioned how you don't like a team – not winning their conference, getting in. I think the best case scenario for Texas A&M, considering there's an unlikelihood that they play in the SEC championship game, is that if Florida goes in, even though they've lost to Bama, I think if Florida goes in and beats Bama, they'll have an argument saying, hey, we beat the SEC champion. You know yeah. what I mean? So we, we, I they claim themselves SEC champions because they beat – oh, wait, this isn't UCF. My bad. Um, so, but no, I just, I think they have a claim for it to say we should, we deserve it like to belong in there. I think that if that plays out the way it will play out, like if, uh, everything goes crazy, the possibility of a Florida, Texas A&M, maybe even Bama, Texas A&M, if they're saying we, you know, there's just a bunch that can be thrown around and the committee for some reason, they seem to love putting in, uh, they they would love an opportunity to give another SEC team a shot. Yeah. I mean, we've seen two SEC teams in there before. Yeah, uh, Georgia and they, and and they, they played in they uh, played in the. Uh... They did. That was a weird year because Bama didn't even play on conference championship weekend that year. No, they got beat by Auburn, <laughs> and they and they still got in. Yeah, and I, I I was I was sitting there thinking like, man, is it really fair that a team that doesn't even play on conference championship weekend gets to be in the playoff? Like, I didn't I didn't think Bama should have been in there. But then, funny enough, Bama went on and won the whole thing, like yeah. Bama does. Yeah. And you know, it just it just made the whole. And then looking back in hindsight, I, I bring it up to friends. I'm like, look, I don't even think Bama should have been in the playoff. And they're like, okay, but they won. And yeah. it's like, yeah, they did, but I just don't really feel like they held true to the criteria that the college football playoff tries to abide by when putting teams in the playoff. It was weird, but you know, they did win. And you can't take yeah, that away. From they, hey, they got put in, and they were able to, you know, yep. they're able to do with, with with the opportunity that they got. They were able to take advantage yeah. of it because at the end of the day, it's still Alabama. I think the name, right. the logo, holds a lot of weight. Yep. So, so it's interesting. You know, the college football playoff. There's always a debate: do they get it right? Do they not? You got fans from all sides saying, "Oh, this team shouldn't be in there. They haven't played anyone." You got the UCF fans saying that they should be ranked number one uh, and automatically handed the trophy. Um, you know, there's a whole, you know, with 130 teams in division one FBS, you hear a whole bunch of different sides and, uh, stories and opinions. So as that selection Sunday looms, it'll be interesting to see what route the committee takes. Um, I don't really know if we have much more to touch on other than that. Um, I think that is there anything, is there a best thing you saw today that I saw today? Um, probably I, I don't really have anything off the top of my mind i mean you know it's just always good to continue to stay on schedule with this podcast and uh, you know keep the content coming out we i I think we've been doing a good job recently with staying consistent so that's good um yeah uh yeah i'm scrolling through twitter right now and i actually just saw something you retweeted saying retweet if you think uh miles powell was the biggest (laughs) nba draft snub so that that's that's something funny but Yeah. yeah no i mean it's uh you know not not a whole lot going on just trying to uh you know get into the end of the semester thanksgiving coming up next week so looking forward to the time spent with family that's always good absolutely and yeah absolutely yeah, i have holidays are coming so yeah i do have one thing this is an nfl topic however we did our nfl show yesterday washington has announced that they are uh the washington football team 
is definitely in the running as the long-term name for the franchise per president jason wright so they're they're seriously considering keeping football team as their name that is terrible that's interesting i mean it's just weird it's something that nfl fans are gonna have to get used to because i feel like if you look at a league like the mls or something there are a lot of teams who you know like dallas fc you know yeah. it's just dallas football club you know you you have stuff like well, that but... I, that's different like soccer and things yeah. like that that's different you know what right. i mean I, I feel like in in american football there, right. there there's like always a mascot of some sort yeah no and there should be yeah so i don't really know i mean what's the mascot for the football team gonna be just a giant w guy walking just a, a football just yeah. some just a, i don't know it'll yeah it'll be weird and i feel like there are a lot of different uh routes that that organization can take with their team name so i think they should heavily consider other options than just sticking with football team i know we've talked about on the past red wolves red tails generals you know it's it's washington dc there there are a lot of different uh routes you could take so yeah Uh, it'll be interesting yeah i have i'm gonna tease something real quick because i just thought of it if i think that we should do a segment on the next show maybe it could be our what's on your mind or whatnot of teams in the NFL that could fit with the term football team. Because I have one in my head that if it was their, if that was their name, I think I'd be okay with it. A franchise. You know what I mean? Like if, yeah, they, if they were to drop their name, I think we could have a team. If there was one team that I looked at and I said, football team wouldn't be terrible because of their past, because of their history, I think football team would be solid. I know it's not like a super... Is it Green Bay? No. No, We're, we'll we'll get into it next time. Yeah. We'll get into it on our on our NFL okay. show. We'll see. All right, I'm down for that. All um, right, that'll, that'll be interesting. Awesome. All right, well, thank you all for listening. Thank you for uh, tuning in to our college episode. Make sure to go check out our NFL episode that was published yesterday. It is called Episode 40. Back in person because it was our first day back since March. Um, it, with you know being able to record in studio, which is yeah. my house. However. Uh, once again, we appreciate all of y'all that listen. We appreciate all the support that we get and we will catch y'all next time. We'll see you guys next week. Have a happy Thanksgiving. Enjoy the time with family, watch the football games, uh, you know, eat some good food and we'll be back soon. Uh, we'll probably record sometime next week, whether it be before or after Thanksgiving, we can discuss that and figure that out, but, uh, enjoy the holidays guys. Yeah. Don't be surprised if you guys see a Thanksgiving special come out. Uh, that'd be cool wednesday night so just be on the lookout according to sources according to sources sources (laughs) trust me ian rapaport reports (laughs) (laughs) all right guys have a good one